Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ruben Uncut. Uh, today, I am talking with uh, local uh, comedian and filmmaker Alex DeCorville. How are you doing today, Alex? Oh, I'm good. Overslept big time, but otherwise good. Oh, I, I, I hear that. I always mean to wake up earlier than I do. Some days I'm like, oh, I'm going to be productive. I'm going to wake up by like 9 or 9.30. Well, like, I set three alarms for this morning, and I slept past all three. Oh, damn. You must have been tired. Yeah. Yeah, I was at the Roger Waters show on Wednesday, and all I'm going to say, well worth it. Nice. Very cool. All right, so uh, for people who might not be familiar with Alex, um, Alex is, of course, a local comedian here in the uh, Akron-Cleveland scene. And uh, Alex has also has a TV show on uh, Amazon Prime and uh, a new movie as well. Newish. It came out. When did it come out? Was it earlier this year? I'm sorry, what was that? Came out in February. Oh, February. Okay, so yeah, earlier this year. I have uh, I've seen uh, both your show and uh, and your movie at this point, um, and so like I'm really curious about what your creative process is like and what your sort of like background as an artist is. So, uh, so let's uh, no, let's start with like uh, start with like some of the background stuff, man. So like, you're from Ohio, right? Oh yeah, I certainly didn't move here. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I find when people do move here, it's almost always for college. I. Yeah, I came to a college here, and then I just stayed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, so where did you go to school? Well, as you, but maybe not your listeners, know, I went to Kent State. Mm-hmm. Got my got my degree in video production, which occasionally comes in handy. My degree in journal the the journalism aspect of my degree only recently came in handy as I got a part time writing gig for my local newspaper. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I actually um, did both of my beats this week. I covered the um, local school board, which is actually my old school, Norton High School, and I covered. And I cover Sharon Township meetings. If any of your listeners get the West Side Leader, the most recent issue that's out today, I just picked it up. I just picked it up before the interview has one of my stories in it. Oh, nice. See, you have you have credits I wasn't even I wasn't even aware of. Uh, comedian, uh, director, actor, and journalist. Very cool. Uh. So you're from Norton? Yes. All right. So what, so what was it like growing up in Norton? Well, there used to be stuff here, but it slowly petered out. <laughs> I, my brother says that he has absolute contempt for this city after one of our few historical landmarks, an apple cider mill, was torn down. And they haven't really replaced it with anything. Um... I do like the fact that my neighborhood is safe. 
like I can go for a jog on cardio days without worrying about being mugged or anything. I live within walking distance of a Dollar General when I need stuff. Uh, that's that is convenient. The yeah, those uh, Norton. That's like a little bit more like uh, that's like a more rural area, right? I don't know if I'd call it rural. I still think of it as a suburb, but there has been more than once where the vague definition on a on a survey forced me to select rural. Let's put it that way. Okay, because uh, yeah, no, you you got a good point there. Like most of what I've seen in Norton is like uh, neighborhoods and, and housing. It just also has like a lot of trees and open area too. I guess oh, yeah. is probably why people think of it as as rural. Yeah, yeah, lots of that, lots of open areas. Sometimes that. Sometimes that comes in handy, I might add. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, rural areas, uh, lots of open spaces, woods, easy to find places to film or just get away from people. Definitely. Yeah, like I said, sometimes, I know I said that sometimes I, I, that I feel safe being able to just like jog, but, but yeah, it is also good for when I just want to get out. I need to take a rest and just need a walk to like clear my mind or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of lots of trees are nice to walk through. That's a fair thing. So, uh, so I assume so. I assume your family also lives out in Norton. For the most part, I actually have a pretty small family. Um, I once joked that anytime we get together, it's a family reunion because of how small we are. Huh. A lot of my father's side lives in the Canton area, but for the most part, we're pretty close knit, not uh, not too far apart. Okay, that can be nice. So, you, so you're relatively close with your family. You yeah, for the most part, I'm pretty close. Very nice. Not everyone can say that these days. So, um, all right. So you grew up in Norton. Uh, you went to Kent State uh, for your college degree. Well, what are your thoughts on your time at Kent State? I enjoyed it there. There are definitely times I miss. There are definitely times I miss the way that when I was. A, up at Kent, like everything I needed was within walking distance. Like if I just wanted to get, um, like if I just wanted to get uh, Chipotle or or visit my exchange or get or go to or get some pizza or go to something, I miss when all that stuff was within walking distance. And even just like. I, you know, I had an on-campus job. I had, I had uh, like teachers I trusted. I, I just miss when all of that stuff was when was with within one central area. Like even, uh, like even when I did comedy at the Euro Euro, like that was within walking distance. 
Yeah, I, I miss that part about college sometimes, just being able to walk everywhere. Yeah, I I had a great time in college. I also went to well, you know I went to Kent State, but but uh yeah, there's something about there's something about uh did you live on campus? Yeah, I lived on campus. Very cool. I lived on campus for uh, one year of my college and then I moved to uh well, first I lived with my family, then I lived on campus, and then I lived in an apartment. Uh Which Kent, Kent State was weird, though, because, like, they openly wanted you to move into apartments. Mm -hmm. Like, they were like, no, we don't need more housing on this on this campus. You know, because people want to live in a people want to live rent apartments and houses anyways. So we're not going to build more. <laughs> we're just going to we're just going to double stack people in those rooms at the and We're going to just make people live in the commons area. Mm hmm. Do you remember that when they were doing that shit? They, I feel like I know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I kid you not, I lived in the same room for three quarters of my college career. Roommate situation was up and down. Like, I ha did not have a, like, my roommate pieced out pretty early during my freshman year. And uh, no offense to the guy, but I kind of liked the solitude of living by myself. I... <laughs> I had the roommate from hell during the, my second year. Oh no! I roommate roommate during roommate during junior year, uh, still a friend of mine. Senior year, um, yeah, pretty cool guy. I got no smoke with him. So, uh, if it's if it's not if it's not too much to ask, what uh, what made the one roommate so hard to live with? Oh, let's see. First of all, um, he snored like. Unfortunately. I, I mean, he snored like a friggin' chainsaw. And there were nights where I just, like, did not sleep. And, like, I had to cross my fingers that I would fall asleep before him mm. most nights because it's like, if I. If I did not like, if I, like if he fell asleep after, like if I, if if I didn't fall asleep before him, it's like he was gonna keep me up. And there were nights where I was just like up all hours of the night because of that. And the really annoying part was the fact that he and his girlfriend did not quite understand private space. Very serious problems with PDA. So they, so they were, so they'd come back to his place and be all over each other. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Okay, that can be awkward. Like pretty much just dry humping right in front of me. And I bet they didn't even have the decency to invite you to join them. What a bunch they of bad. They did not. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm. The first, the first year that I I lived in a dorm, my roommate never showed up, and and that was kind of like nice. And then I found out that this one person in my dorm who who I uh, did not want to live with was looking for someone was trying to find a new roommate, and I knew that when the next semester came, that like my room would be like 
available again. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pay the extra money to not have you move in here. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know if they wanted to move in with me, but I did not want them to move in with me. So I just was, I was not going to take that risk. I was like, no. Right. But, uh, all right. So, so you, uh, so you studied journalism and, uh, video production? Yes. Okay. Um, so do you have like a double major or is one of those a minor? It was, um, the thing is that, that the journalism classes were frequently like a side effect of the video production classes. Like you had to take certain journalism classes. Like I took media law. I remember that there was like some kind of like journalism basics. Like you had to learn the, like the basics of writing a news story to take like that was a mandatory class like i remember uh taking a class on how like we took like i took a class on how to ask questions how to structure a news story stuff like that okay no that makes sense yeah uh did you learn was there anything surprising that you learned when uh studying journalism uh, I'd say most of the interesting stuff was um, some of the stuff that I found interesting was learning about um, the media law, like uh, like learning <laughs> just how much goes into a slander or libel lawsuit and why it's best not to get involved in one. That makes sense. You can't just be going around. Making up shit. Right. So, uh, <laughs> almost got political. Uh, but, uh, so, um, so what was it, so what was it like studying media production? Well, I enjoyed that. I actually started me, um, taking classes on media stuff as far, and even making films as far back as eighth grade. Like, I made wow. my, like, my eighth grade art class, if you can believe it, converted itself into like a mini film school. Wow. And you know, I took classes in I took classes in high school. If he's listening, shout out to Mr. Barnett. And, you know, I learned I learned editing stuff. I got a few, I got scattered um, video production jobs throughout high school as far back as high school like i distinctly remember being hired to edit the end and opening credits of this like home lifestyle show you know one of those shows where like they teach they make recipes and stuff Uh, okay okay you know got i got scattered jobs throughout i got scattered jobs throughout college since college some have unfortunately not exactly been panned out. I've been, I've been stiffed on a lot of bills. Mm. Ouch. Uh, do you uh, do you prefer to keep to be discretionary, or do you have any tea you want to spill? The only thing I will say is that one, a lot of people will probably tell me, "Hey, get money up front." And, but in a lot of these cases, 
Um, one of these cases is someone who just like I took the job because she paid me in the past. So I thought this person would be good for it a second time. Another was someone, um, at least one person has basically just taken my work and ran with it. Oof. Like he put my, he put this mini documentary I filmed for him on cleanup and he just never paid me. Wow. Very like, shitty. Yeah, he breathed down my neck. He breathed down my neck about getting it in on time and then never paid me. Damn. Well, yeah, though, there is yin to that yang. A few years ago, I edited a movie. Now, again, I don't want to spill any tea or name any names, but all I will say is the yin to that yang is I have yet to see the film, but I got my money. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that it. That is the flip side there: doing work and not getting paid, and doing work you get paid, but then the work never materializes. Kind of like, kind of like how they just canceled that Batgirl movie, right? But uh, so, so let's uh, so let's talk about some of your. Uh, um, well, actually, let's uh, let's do. So you do stand-up comedy in the area, right? What's uh? Do you have any thoughts you'd like to share on doing stand-up comedy? Do you have a philosophy? Do you have an attitude? What inspired you? Well, I always like to joke that with that. Uh, I always like to steal the Harrison Ford joke that I got into it because of failure in every other subject. Um. <laughs> It's one of those things where, you know, I just started doing it. You know, I'd always been encouraged, like, hey, you tell jokes all the time. Why not do stand-up? And, um, you know, just one day, finally manned up, got on stage. Uh, I like to joke that nothing before 2015 counts <laughs> because 2015 feels like when I kind of started you know, getting serious about the business, like actually showing up, like actually not like not just doing things once a month, like actually writing some, some actually writing good material instead of just saying whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, when I feel like I started making some of the connections that I still have today. connections and friends are important so in your stand-up you um you have a you have like a a a foil that you talk about in your stories Mm -hmm. your um what is it your your cousin my cousin roy yes so 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 cousin roy is a fiction right Yes, though okay. it amazes me. Uh, I hate to, I hate to open, I hate to open the secret, but yeah, I, cousin Roy is made up. Mm-hmm. Though it amazes me, I've talked to multiple people who don't realize I made him up. Uh, well, you know, I feel like there are certain parts of Ohio where people like Ro- your your fictional cousin Roy uh, seem believable. <laughs> 
Well, here's the thing. He is kind of an amalgamation of different people I know. Obviously, I don't know anyone exactly like that, but I have cold parts of his personality from some people I know. Okay. I, I assume you want to keep that a secret as to who? Or are there... Can you tell us any of the inspirations? Uh, the only one I will mention is one of my brother, or excuse me, my brother has a friend who's kind of like Cousin Roy. I can mention that he's part of the inspiration just because that guy would find it hilarious. Ah. <laughs> nice. So, uh, so like, is that what made you think of Cousin Roy? Just the different, just like different personalities you knew and you figured you could uh, put them into sort of like a... A uh, a facsimile, sort of? Yeah, it's sort of like different people I knew. Also, just a matter of, like, wanting to put a face on certain people who, on certain people who annoy me. Like, it is just so much easier to say, this guy I made up said something, rather than just say, rather than just uh, speaking nebulously about people who don't exist. That's a great that's actually a great point because because specificity is is uh is an important detail of comedy. So like right. so like giving um giving yourself this sort of like foil is going to lend a lot more to the stories themselves cuz the audience is going to be like oh, it's a specific person and that gives them something to focus on. So yeah, no, that makes total sense. Because just being like, well, yeah, I was in this place with this one guy, and he was like, hey, this thing. That's that's not that's not going to pull people in. So, yeah, no, good thinking. I will admit that, that in terms of that it, it's, it's also kind of, it, it has, coming up with this character has kind of changed my writing process just a little. Like, I have gone from just using him as a face of people who annoy me, but also thinking, hmm, what are some crazy things Cousin Roy can do? Yeah, yeah. Gives you a... It's a tool. A valuable, valuable comedy tool. So, are there... So, like, what's a... What's a thing that, and if this is, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but like, what is, uh, what is something that you find frustrating about doing comedy? Oh boy, I, <laughs> well, you know, you already know the story, but I, but I feel like you already know the story, but I would say my biggest frustration is ha is having to deal with so many copy and paste uh, comedians in the business. Simply put, um, uh, sadly, I don't have the footage. I know you already heard it, but oh, I yeah, have yeah, yeah. a parody of what I think a lot of comedians in this business sound like, and... I swear, if I had a dollar for every time I heard some monotone guy just rambling about their addictions and just spouting rhetoric that sounds like it that sounds like it came from some twelve year old on a forum, you know that twelve year old edge lord rhetoric. Oh yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. 
And it just annoys me so much that so many of these people are just like failing upward. So like, that is actually an interesting thing because um, a guy I know who's a booker has actually told me, has actually given me an interesting reason as to why that happens sometimes. They're friends with, they're drinking buddies with the right people. Well, uh, well, I mean, yeah, that probably happens too, depending on, on where you're at. Um, so an interesting thing that has been pointed out to me from this guy who, uh, I won't go, I won't go into specifics, but like, like his, he, his act is not, he's, he's a good guy, but his act is like, eh, you know, but, uh, the thing he's pointed out to me is that, uh, is that that's marketable to, to people who are bookers because bookers are often looking for throwaway comedians, comedians who basically they can put in front of a big act that's not going to distract from the big act. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. So, like, there's a lot of room for people whose comedy material is just sort of there, who are mm-hmm. not going to, like, overly impress the audience, because that's that's what some club owners are looking for, is just reliable comedians who they know can show up and do a bit before uh, a big comedian, and then people are just going to forget that first comedian and it's not going to detract from the bigger comedian. Um, it's a thing that some club owners are looking for. And so that does create this, like, weird market for comedians whose act is kind of, you know, like, either not incredibly original or kind of hacky or, you know, just not super memorable, but you laugh and then it's over. Now, that doesn't mean that's why all of these people are failing up. But it does, like, shine a light on the fact that there is a place for people who are not spectacular. Well, I will admit that I have once or twice seen shows where one of the opening acts totally outclassed the headliner. It happens. Uh, Probably the only time I've ever seen a musician. uh, The only time I've seen it outside of comedy is when I was in college, my brother and I went to see Les Claypool and Devochka was one of the opening acts. They totally blew him out of the water. And honestly, every time I see one of these Primus reunions, I'm just grinding my teeth a little like, oh, now he's doing the good stuff. Like, now he's doing, like, that <laughs> classic era stuff and not just head up his own butt 10-minute rambly sets. <laughs> did you, uh, did you ever hear any of the... Excuse me. Did you ever hear any of the music that Les Claypool made with uh, John Lennon's kid? I have not. I've only I've only heard uh, I've only heard one song. Uh, it was super weird, but um, it's actually uh, the song is actually about it's a, it's a song about a real person named uh, I think Jack Parsons, mm-hmm. who was a rocket scientist and an occultist. Hmm. I, I did a podcast on him. He's a super weird dude. His uh, his Wikipedia is a great read. Uh, he he hung out with uh, he, he hung out with Aleister Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard. Oh wow! Yeah, definitely, definitely recommend learning about that guy. But uh, the main thing I know about Les Claypool is that he did uh, he's done a bunch of music for like. Uh, 
Let's see here. He did he did the theme song for South Park, I believe. Right. I think I think Robot Chicken too. Um He made a he made his he, Les Claypool made a mockumentary that has uh Matt Stone in it. It's meant to be like a parody of jam bands. Mm-hmm. Although I, I'll be honest, I've forgotten what it's called. Yeah. I'm sure a little research will oh, yeah. find it. I want to say it has like apricot in the name or something, like some type of like fruit or something. I don't know. But it is meant to be like a parody of, of jam bands. Gotcha. Uh, but anyways. So so uh so you seem to so you seem to be really into uh you're into rock. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing I noticed from watching uh, your show, uh, Pinheads, is that you like to make a lot of... Now, um, actually, that's a question. Um, is the musical taste of your character in Pinheads the same as yours in real life, or do you, or did you deliberately want him to have like a different set of uh, tastes? No, that's a little bit of both. I definitely do listen to a lot of the hard rock that Charlie talked about on Pinheads. Uh, I don't listen to it as much, but... A lot of it also just came from the fact that, and unfortunately, I think certain, I think some people kind of miss this joke that the hard rock personality is meant to is meant to contrast with, or excuse me, the hard rock music that he loves so much is meant to contrast with his weird and offbeat personality. But there is definitely some of that in me. Like I've seen. I've seen bands like Blue Oyster Cult and The Darkness Live. Oh, nice. I even bought a Darkness t-shirt when I saw them back in April. Cool. And, uh, all right, so let's, uh, so let's, uh, if you could describe Pinheads, uh, for people who haven't seen it, how would you describe it? Well, some people have sardonically called it, it's always sunny in Akron. I can kind of, I can kind of see that. Yeah, um, it's always sunny was a big influence. Um, as was Cheers, but uh, those were definitely like shows that had big influences. Uh, but I kind of took some influence and wanted to make it sort of sort of those shows, but with like a flexible reality. Okay, yeah, the flexible reality definitely definitely comes across in the in the show. Yeah, the funny thing is that I, there are shows that I feel are similar, but I didn't discover until <laughs> until after I filmed my original pilot. Uh, if you've ever heard of Get a Life with Chris Elliott or the IT crowd, both kind of have the humor I've been going for with that flexible reality. Mm-hmm. I've seen the IT crowd, but I don't think I've seen the other show. Yeah, Get a Life was this very offbeat show where Chris Elliott played this play this grown-up newspaper boy who still lived with his parents though in the second season he moves in with brian doyle murray and it's a kind of humor i really like and something i tried to do on pinheads where like every character is kind of weird in their own way like mm-hmm. like brian doyle murray was his foil in the second season but brian doyle murray was kind of weird and offbeat on his own and that's the kind of humor I really enjoy. Like I was watching, like Keenan and Kel was recently added to Netflix, and that and that show did something similar, where like Keenan and Kel played off of each other. Like you know, Keenan was neurotic and Kel was loud, but Keenan was into all these get rich quick schemes. 
So instead of one just being a being a, a whiner or a complainer, they were both like weird in their own way, and that's kind of the humor I try to do with Pinheads. Okay, cool. And um, what would you say Pinheads was about? I would say it's about you know, I I, I sort of feel like it's about uh, um, characters who are just trying to. Uh, get who are just kind of obsessed with their own desires but don't really hurt anyone okay all right so so um so let's see here so in season one of pinheads there's of course uh your character charlie and um so how much how much of charlie is supposed to be you well, I I definitely feel like the more I played it, the more uh, that the more I definitely like influenced the character and 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 how much I started pl playing it. Like I definitely feel like a lot of my personality started seeping through, especially when I started writing it. Okay. So and then uh, let's see here. There's a series of other um, important characters in the show that, that, that appear with you. Mm -hmm. um, you'll have to... It's been a minute since I saw it, so I might need your help uh, remembering the character's name. Uh, there was Steven... There was Steven, who was played by Chris Patterson. And it's... Uh, Brian and which character is Steven again? That's the... Um, is that the, t the radio DJ? Yeah. Okay. So how would you describe his character? Uh, sort, sort of a bit of a narcissist... Uh, I definitely gotta give Chris credit that he pl that he played the character like the character probably because of how narcissistic and kind of short fuse the character is that he could have been very unlikable. But I gotta give Chris credit that he made that character likable. Okay, cool. Uh, uh, you know, Rand played Brian, who was the very laid back, mellow guy who was obsessed with food. I definitely feel like watching Rance play that character kind of influenced the character's personality a little more. Like, I definitely started to try and make him a little more mellow and laid back to match the way Rance played that character. Makes sense. So, and uh, let's see here. Then you, of course, you also have... Um, you have also have some more supporting-type characters. Uh, yeah, there's also uh, Bernie and Kenny... Oh yeah, the, Bernie and Kenny. Who actually, that there's several episodes that specifically focus on them, right? And the yeah. the guy who plays um, Kenny, he's uh, he, he's like the writing partner, or like he wrote a few episodes. He contributed a few episodes, contributed some jokes. Um, one of the reasons that his appearances could be touch and go is because he lived in New York, oh. so we kind of had him on borrowed time. Oh, yeah, that, that would make that difficult. Yeah, I actually let him uh, shack up at my place. I mean, God bless him for being willing to do those things. Um, we swapped Bernie's from the pilot because the original actor, Bradley Rhodes, lived in, lived in Connecticut. I can't believe he was also willing to just do that for the pilot, but as you can probably imagine, he just wasn't able to commit. I mean, Connecticut's a heck of a drive. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen the pilot, so I'm only familiar with the other Bernie actor. Yes, Logan Fry. Yeah. 
Um, it, who his character seems like kind of a standout on the show, sort of like the quirky old man. Right. Always going around saying wacky stuff. Yeah, he was definitely a fun character to write for just because, like, a lot of things that just popped into my head, like this character could, I, I suppose it's almost like a precursor to Cousin Roy in the sense that, you know, random stuff that just popped into my head could be a vehicle for this character. Yeah, he seems like the kind of character who you can really have him say whatever you want on a certain level. Right. So, so, so do you, so you do, how do you write the show? Is it like, uh, do you write all the scripts yourself? Is there like a, a group writing process? I, I'm, I wrote most of the scripts myself. Um, one of the things was that I had originally envisioned it as a 20 minute series, like it's always done your cheers. Um, I'm sorry to, I hate to say this. I did not want some of the episodes to be I didn't want some of the episodes to just be watered down versions of the full 20 minute scripts I wrote so I just started writing um so I just started writing fresh stuff some of them were recycled scripts from those episodes uh from the full 20 minute scripts I wrote but some but uh, I I pretty much had to start with a mostly blank slate The episode Kenny's Sister, which is a fan favorite, that was a recycled script. And it and honestly, I think it's one of the best episodes just because I think it is like joke after joke after joke, and everybody has a funny line, yada yada yada, all that stuff. Um, um, let me see if I remember this episode. That's is that the one where um is that the one where Kenny that's is that the one Oh, I've forgotten his name. Um the gentleman who's obsessed with the food. Brian. Is that is that's the one where Brian is is going out with Kenny's sister, is that right? Yeah, she has a crush on him. He's reluctant as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And um, then and then the you, uh Stephen the DJ can't believe that someone would choose Brian over 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 him. Yes. Yes, that And um, that and the episode Hooked on a Feeling, which if you want to know a little about my process, a lot of people have told me that's their favorite, which surprised me just a little because that is the script I put like the least thought into. Like I just thought, hmm, what would be a funny concept? I know, Charlie's spending an evening with a, with a call girl. That's funny. And I just wrote it from there. That's that's one of the most popular ones. Yeah, a lot of people have told me that's their favorite. So, so I do, <laughs> I do want to ask you. There are a couple, uh, th- both in your show and then later in your movie. Uh, you you have a couple of you have a couple of, well, I guess in the show it's not really a sex scene. It's more like a post sex scene. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's uh, <laughs> what's that like? Uh, well, we kept things, I, I, I sought the advice of one of my friends for, for doing that sort of thing. Uh, the actress, uh, you know, I did, I did everything to make the actress comfortable. Like, um, when I did it for, um, 
one of the advice I received on doing that sort of thing is keep crew small, like like keep it strictly to to uh, mandatory crew and no one else. Uh-huh. That was one thing I did to keep comfortable. And you know, I made sure. Like, I took every step, like, asking all these people, hey, are, are you comfortable with this? You know, after I sent them the scripts, I I asked, hey, are you, com- you know, is that okay with you? Does anything go beyond your boundaries? That's good. That, that's good stuff. You got to, it's important to stay, it's important to try and make actors feel comfortable in the scenario. That That's, that's important. Uh, so the thing, the thing I want to ask, though, is, like was 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 the comfort level part of why like your character was mostly dressed after sex is that yeah you could put yeah you could put it that way i would um for uh for science boy i was also trying to give the subtle hint that 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 jason is a bit of a selfish lover so to speak i was trying to give that subtle hint oh you know i i saw that i i picked up on that on that one yeah that that makes sense so so that so that is the thing is that you you seem very um at least in science boy and i don't want to get i don't want to get ahead because i actually have more questions about pinheads but um you do seem fairly comfortable making yourself sort of like um the butt of the joke right so that's uh that's that's as a comedian i find that to be uh, a fairly admirable thing if you can't laugh at yourself what are you doing laughing at other people right so so some other questions about uh about pinheads let's see here um it is good to hear uh I, i was curious what the what the favorite episodes were um so so let's see here. Um, and you also have a boss on the yes. uh, on Pinheads. Yes, Bruce, played by Jerry Pietrola, who has always been a good sport. He is like the one person who is like the total. He is definitely like the total opposite of that character. Oh yeah, like yeah, he's actually like a very warm, very friendly person in real life. Well, that's good to hear because his look really seems to match what you have him doing. Now, so so like I have okay, so I have I've had this question I've been wanting to ask about the Stephen character, mm-hmm. and like I don't know if this is a thing I'm reading too much into or if it's just like a, a vibe you weren't really going for. But like when I watch the show, like the Stephen character specifically gives off this vibe like someone who. Like sometimes when I'm watching, I just get this vibe like his character is like, like his character's like, how should I put it? Like his character is like in denial about being gay. Is that a thing, or is that just like I'm reading too much into that? Well, I never aimed for that, but Chris Patterson. I mean, I'm not. I am not saying anything that nobody that that anybody doesn't know. But Chris Patterson is in fact gay. Oh, okay. And again, you know, I'm not I'm not spilling some big secret. He is not he is not shy about it. He does not hide it. And I just but um well, like I just I, I I don't I don't tell him to do otherwise. Like I remember watching on Shit's Creek how um how, how David um Daniel Levy he 
yeah. I feel like he sort of played it straight in the first season. And I think he did. And I, I also think he did a decent job with that. But like, you know, more and more and more as the layers peeled off, he, you know, he was upfront about his real life homosexuality. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I must also admit I did not see Schitt's Creek until well after I finished season two. And thus, well, and in fact, well after Science Boy. But so that was not like something I was running through my mind. I just kind of liked the way Chris played it and just like played the character over the top. So, oh, yeah. Okay. I was just always curious about that. But uh, so in your show, you have like two major, like, there's like almost like two major settings if you don't include like their like your apartment. Mm -hmm. But like so you have the radio station and then you have the uh then you have like the bar slash bowling alley. Mm -hmm. So um so of course pinheads is where you, you get the, the idea for the bowling alley, I I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you decide you wanted them to be um, radio personalities? I have a hard time remembering exactly what inspired the radio stuff. I I, I hate to admit that sort of thing, but I, I I don't know. Part of me just feels like it it made some good. It may just be one of those things I picked because it made for good uh, jokes. Though it did, I do remember the fact that um, that if you notice in season two, there are more radio segments, and we actually got a real life radio station to cooperate. Oh, but the th but we were definitely inspired to do that because I was reminded, like, hey, you're doing, you know, they're radio personalities. They work at a radio station. Take advantage of that. Makes sense. So, so you do have two seasons of the show, and so, so I do want to. I, I want to because there are some there are some distinctive differences between season one and two um, that I noticed when I was watching it. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I would say is that uh, season two, um, season two has a step up in video quality. Um, but there are a couple episodes where it actually seems like you had trouble with the sound in season two. We did not have a consistent audio crew. There were literally di like, I don't. If you paid attention to the credits, you might notice that it was different for every episode. In fact, the cinematographers were different for every episode. There were days where I was behind a camera with a boom mic strapped to, strapped to my chest, basically doing double or even triple duty. Oh wow! Such as the such as the life of the independent filmmaker. So, um, so what kind of camera uh, would I be right in assuming that you did get a new camera for season two? Um. I have my own camera. I have a Canon 7D, and since I had to rely on different on different 
directors, uh, since I had to rely on so many different cinematographers, basically that means that we had to rely on different crew. And I just told them, just just match it, just keep it consistent. Okay, so so both so wait, I'm, so both seasons are shot with the same camera, or did you get no? A new... Both uh, season one was shot almost exclusively by Craig Knowles with a Red Dragon. Okay. And season two was shot with all sorts of whatever. Oh, interesting. I believe I use the can. I, I believe I primarily use my Canon 7D. I know I had different cinematographers on board, but whenever possible to keep things consistent, I told them to use my. I I let them use my Canon 7D as a way of keeping it consistent. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Uh, so. So the other no so the other couple noticeable differences between season one and two is that uh, season two um, season two seems like season one it has the flexible reality, but like on a certain level also seems more grounded. And in season two, it feels like you were like, ah, we're not gonna bother with that grounded stuff. Let's go wild. Yeah, um, I don't even know if I entirely planned it that way, but I did just think about that. And yeah, I did think about how there were episodes with ghosts, aliens, um, the, 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 I, I feel, I don't mind admitting that I wanted to do an, an episode about aliens just for the pun of calling an episode Steven's Universe. Okay. And the ghost, the episode about ghosts was inspired by... Um, this radio station back when I back when I used to listen to a radio station at night because it helped me sleep. I forget the name of it, but there was this thing that played at at night, and maybe I was remembering it wrong, but it sounded kind of like it's like when you're half asleep, things can just sound eerie. And I played on Sunday mornings, and I thought, huh, wouldn't it be neat if there was like a if there was like a, um, like a like kind of a ghost station or something like that, and that that's what inspired that episode. A couple of episodes were inspired by other incidents. Uh, you may have also noticed that season two had more had more writing credits from the cast. You know that you know that's something about it. I I was very open to letting other people pitch ideas. Uh, Rance came up with the idea for Bye Bye Bull or Die because um, because we, as you may have also noticed, we had to change the radio or excuse me the location for the we had to oh. change the location for the bowling alley multiple situations. I, if you saw our holiday special, Bernie 2016, I have a serious horror story about filming that place. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what happened? Well, the guy, after finding out we couldn't film at Fastlane again, we had to, we had to film at a place called we had to film at a place called Dickie's Lanes, which has sh since shut down. And we did not talk money or anything beforehand. But as I got there, 
the guy the guy just redlined me that he wanted four hundred dollars on the spot he gave us only four hours to film there hold on okay sorry about that i have my cell phone on silent but he gave us only four hours to film there a hard four hours i might add so we just had to rush Damn. Like, like i'm amazed that episode turned out like even competent but I hate to admit, I hate to admit this. I have a little bit of uh, like I I I just can't watch that episode, and I'm and it is probably my least favorite episode just because of what a troubled production it was, and like just the mm. fact that it cost me so much money to do that. I was gonna say last um, minute four hundred dollars. That's uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty outrageous. He must have. He must have viewed himself as having you over a barrel at that time. Yeah. Plus, he he said that he filmed some dentist commercial there. Oh, I assume he's yeah, using he was, that so as. He was big leaking us as well. Hey, man! I had a dentist commercial filmed here, <laughs> yeah. so you're gonna have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> I know my I know my worth. That dentist gave me five four hundred dollars. Hilarious, but uh, so okay. So you have a least favorite episode. That's good to know. Um, so the other difference between season one and two is that you added a, a uh, you added a woman main character in season two. Yeah, um, the character Raven was a. Well, I mentioned before how I didn't want how I mentioned before how a lot of episodes were. I wrote 20 minute episode scripts and it, let's just say and a lot of people um, kind of came down on me about the fact that season one was a sausage fest and my pilot was a sausage fest. And, you know, I hate to say this, but in the year of our Lord, 2022, maybe it's not the best idea to have a show that's, that's, per, that's almost exclusively sausages yeah so even though i never filmed even though i never filmed the episode where the character where they actually meet the character um i decided to just throw the character in there so what uh so so the character um so are you so if i remember it correctly your character is dating raven is that right or am i there's sort of a one-way there's sort of a one-way um, street, you know, the old comedy thing where he's too oblivious okay. to realize that she's into him. Okay. Yeah. All right. How did you come up with the uh, with the How did you come up with the character of Raven, or was it like uh, you found an actor and the actor came up with the idea? Well. The thing is that she was originally supposed to be a, just like a one episode wonder in that script, in that one script I was talking about, where um, 
I don't want to go into too many details because I'd still like to use this script. Fair. But suffice to say, she was just meant to be like a one-episode wonder, and it tied into the plot of the episode. Some people have read it, so, but, uh, you know, basically she was just supposed to tie into that plot of the episode, but a, a few people convinced me, you know, you wrote this character with such an interesting personality. Why don't you make her, like, a regular? Okay. So, um, I'm trying to remember her character. Do, am I remembering correctly that it, it's implied that she's a, a former adult star? Yeah, she, well, not fo former, I suppose the, I didn't say this because I, if memory, I don't believe it was quite a thing when, I don't think it was quite a thi thing when I started writing this. I think it was like just beginning to blossom, but it's kind of hinted that she's like, does OnlyFans stuff. Oh, okay. That sort of thing. Makes sense. All right, cool. Well, I mean, like, uh, I think the addition of a, a female character adds a nice dynamic to it, where previously uh, there weren't really that many female characters. Um, how did you... Um, so what? Um, who, play, uh, who plays Raven? What was their name? Valerie Garrett, though. Valerie Garrett. Or excuse me, not Garrett, Gilbert. Okay, and how did how did you find Valerie Gilbert? Uh, well, she initially auditioned, and that's another that's another story where I cast a different actress. I cast a different actress, and she ended up quit, and she ended up quitting on on me pretty abruptly. We actually like we actually have footage with the original actress, and there's part of me that feels bad. It's like there's part of me that feels bad. Like, hey, she's a second choice. Well, you know, I've been other people's second choices, and my attitude is, hey, their loss is my gain. More importantly, if uh, if anybody if anybody thinks I'm taking a dig at the, at the fact that she was my second choice, simply put, the other actress quitting on me, I. I feel like I should have just cast Valerie in the first place. Sometimes that happens, you know. There's, there's been a lot of times where uh, iconic characters were almost played by other actors. Yeah, I assume you know about how, uh, like, it's become an open secret now that Eric Stoltz, that they filmed half of Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz. Like, you can see half of the key scenes of the movie with Eric Stoltz, half the movie was refilmed. They picked Michael J. Fox, and totally the right call. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, they just determined he wasn't funny enough for the part. Although, yeah, Michael J. Fox was the right choice. Yes. Classic, classic 80s filmmaking. Uh, yeah. Robert Zemeckis. I don't know... He's made a lot of he's made a lot of good movies, but I don't know if he's ever surpassed his Back to the Future movies. Right. Where was I? Uh so uh so yeah. Um so season two, a lot more wacky. Uh get yourself a, a female character. I'll, oh, I did want to bring this up. So your the final episode of season of season two, 
you guys have a stripping contest. Yeah. And I can't help but notice that there was barely any clothes off in that stripping contest. <laughs> well, I didn't know what con I didn't know what content we'd actually be allowed to to show. So that's, I mean, that's why that's fair. I, it's mostly kept PG simply because I didn't know the content. As far as I can tell, Amazon Prime seems like they will put up any. Will put up. If like, you can believe it, we made the deal with Amazon while cameras were rolling. So that's so that's why. So that that's why things. Uh, changed and that's why I didn't know exactly what's going on and it's like uh, you know when the episode is competent and already good it's like yeah I'm not I'm not going to reshoot it just to make it naughtier fair so so what so you have so what is it like getting a what is it like doing a deal with Amazon Prime well my friend Roger Preby hooked me up with them um, the guy who, the guy who, um, Jeffrey Swanson is the guy I did business with. He did not have a, yeah, his demands were surprisingly reasonable. He just wanted a trailer and a poster. He wasn't a fan of the original one, which, um, you can still find on some, on some sources. Um, Chris also hated it for, for, because he thought that the picture I used was unflattering, and the sad story behind that is when I was filming season one, like this per like the person who designed that poster was breathing down my neck while I was on vacation. Mm. So like I mean I hate to I hate to admit throwing a friend under the bus, but for me it was like like I'm like I'm paying big bucks, I'm I'm uh I'm paying big bucks. I just wanna, I just wanna get this done with so I can release the show. Mm -hmm. And season two, we season two for season two when we finally had like when the when the deal was getting made, like I uh, we thought about using the we thought about using the um, like just the image of like the bowling alley of like the bowling ball smashing the TV and just making that like the logo. But the guy who was gonna do the Photoshop job for me failed. And I am terrible at Photoshop. Like I am so bad I don't even know if I could do that basic thing. So the so I hired a photographer to shoot the to shoot the uh, the pictures that we're quite proud of. And I think our I think what we filmed is an upgrade. I I I was rocking a porn stash at the time, but I shaved that for but I shaved that for the shoot just because I think it would have looked weird. It's like he ha he has a he has a mustache on the on the posters, but not in the actual episodes. Probably the right call. Yeah, Probably I know there are some exceptions, like the fact that Skeet Ulrich has a Van Dyke on the poster for Scream, but not in the actual movie. Um, but I still thought, eh, better safe than sorry. So I shaved my uh, mustache I had at the time. And, uh, you know, we did, you know, we, we had to compromise a little. 
before before we got something we liked, but eventually, as you can see, we we got a poster that we all agree on and we all like. We did. Uh, the annoying thing was that the I I com I was just so busy and so swamped with projects, up to and including trying to finish the episode that I tried to outsource the. Then I tried to outsource the trailer that Jeffrey Swanson asked for. So I reached out to a friend and he edited a trailer and without even letting me watch it, he, he just scrapped it. Like he even sent me a screenshot and he just scrapped it. I was like, can I see it? Because I might like it. My distributor might like it. So I had to hastily edit another one and it wasn't that hard. Um, it wasn't the hardest thing in the world. I just kind of had to include Raven. I bas basically I had this uh, I had this pitch re this sizzle reel you could call it that I that won my show the a quarter finalist in the next TV pitch competition, and I just re-edited that sizzle reel into a trailer. Very cool. So, so Amazon, with arts, are they relatively easy to work with? No, they've been mostly easy. The only thing that stinks is we used to be free to watch the subscribers, but now they are charging. I mean, I still got a paycheck back in June, so I guess it's not that bad. But I do miss... I do miss when I could just tell people to watch and they would watch and leave a review, which would get me money. But at the same time, I mean, I have seen so many projects just removed, like they're gone from Amazon. So I'm counting my blessings that there's something. I was going to ask about that because like I had, I had wanted to go back and I was going to go back and rewatch it. Um, and then I was like, Oh, it's not free anymore. <laughs> So that was so that was an Amazon decision. I don't I don't know whose decision it was. I assume I'm guessing it was I'm guessing it was Amazon because, like I said, so many people I have seen so many people like their stuff is just now gone. Mm. So that stuff happens. The value of physical media it does it can't just disappear. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the middle when it comes to physical media. Like, I have so many DVDs around the house. So, like, when I wanted to watch Beetlejuice recently, I was annoyed because it wasn't on streaming. Though it is now, like, a few days after I watched it. <laughs> but, like, I own so many movies that it's not always a problem when I want to watch something. Though sometimes it is, and... Honestly, sometimes I'm just lazy, like, Ugh, I want to watch that, but I'm too lazy to put on the DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's a few things I've chosen to watch on streaming, even though I own the, the Blu-ray or the DVD. Oh, definitely. Sometimes, though, it's a matter of, like, the the version I want, like, the director's cut isn't always streaming. And, yeah. you know, there are certain sites that make you sit through ads, yada, yada, yada. Fair. So, but speaking of physical media, um, I own a copy of uh, of uh, Science Boys High School Reunion. 
So why don't oh, we? Oh yes. I don't know how long you have to talk today, but so let's uh, let's move on to. Actually, hold on. Can I? T I need to take a pee break. Do you need a pee break? That, that, that's fine. Okay, I'll be right. I'm gonna pause this here and I'll be right back. Okay. Here we go. All right. So, uh, Science Boys High School reunion. Uh, all right. So, what what inspired you when it comes to making high, uh, Science Boys High School reunion? Well, it was sort of a bolt of inspiration. Like, if you want to know how far the Science Boy character goes, I was kind of inspired do like some kind of Zucker Abraham Zucker style spoof of like superhero movies. And if you can believe it, Science Boy was originally the sidekick to a different character who I don't want to say too much about because this character because I may still use this character in like something else, like maybe a Science Boy sequel. Mm -hmm. But um but but in the original in the original screenplay where Science Boy was the sidekick, there was a joke that a friend of mine that uh, a friend of mine says he wish he I could have included, where one of the recurring jokes was that Science Boy kept getting killed off like Kenny McCormick. Huh. Unfortunately, I feel like that joke only works when he's the sidekick. Like I don't know if it works when he's the central character. It would raise more questions if he's the central character. Right. Uh, though without giving too much away, there is one bit in the movie that's sort of a holdover from that. And, um, you know, this idea kicked around. I was never entirely happy with that original screenplay I wrote. Like, I felt like it was kind of shapeless, and I felt like the Science Boy stuff was part, was some of the only good stuff I wrote. And um, it, one thing I must confess something that even I straight up forgot was that the whole joke behind Science Boy is it's kind of a spoof of how vaguely comics and media in general view science. Like, I was actually watching a video from Linkara, one of my favorite YouTubers, when he was talking about a Spider-Man comic where they were just vaguely having a science convention and and watching that reminded me, oh, yeah, that's where I got the idea. Like, that's what the whole thing is a spoof of, just how vaguely science is defined. And the script, I, you know, it kicked around in my head for a while. You know, obviously other projects came and went, some of which some of my ideas were, of course, incorporated into Science Boy. And I and... A few years back, I got a wild hair for writing, like, some kind of raunchy-style comedy. And, you know, I, a lot of ideas kicked my head, like, hey, a high school reunion. Then it clicked me, hey, wait a minute. What if it's his high school reunion? Uh, and, you know, sometimes I, I struggle to get – sometimes I struggle to get ideas to paper. I mean – Hell, even when I'm doing, even when I'm just trying to, like, conflate or salvage other ideas from different projects, I still, like, I will still struggle to, like, I will still, like, struggle to organize those thoughts, but, like, the ideas just poured out of me, like, you know, once I had an outline, I just started, like, 
pouring things onto paper. Like I was this writing machine and I just couldn't stop. Nice. That's always a good feeling. It's always a good feeling when you're in a creative process. So, all right. Yeah, so of course, nothing like that has happened again. I'm sure you'll find something at some point. But um, so, do you like do you like get numbers like for viewership from your Not a problem. So, so like, uh, do you get any numbers back from Amazon on like viewership or anything? No, since it's not direct, it's my distributor who has the numbers. I do not get those numbers directly. Hmm. And honestly, I, feel, I always feel too polite to ask. I do occasionally get, I do occasionally get, um, uh, money from them. Uh, oh, I don't want to. Uh, let's just say that Mel Brooks was when he was right when he said the real money is made through merchandise. But uh, you know, we also we also occasionally get reviews. I was a little discouraged when the first review I got was this one star review. And I, I do not feel like dignifying this person. All I'm going to say is, all I'm going to say is, I get the feeling he wrote it in between his his rambly, monotone videos where he'll spend 20 minutes still complaining about TLJ. That That's the vibe I'm getting from this guy. TLJ? Last Jedi. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm, impl I'm implying that this person is a useless incel who just complains about movies. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to go on a limb and guess this person uses phrases like, well, Red Letter Media and Cinema Sins had a point. <laughs> I think that, I think that, I sometimes think that people miss the point of, of uh, Cinema Sins. Oh. Which is unfortunate. Hmm. Well, because like, I think the point of stuff like Cinema Sins is meant to just like make you take stuff less seriously and realize that everything has weird quirks to it. But there do appear to be a lot of people nowadays that view it as actual film criticism. Well, uh, well, frankly, I feel like if there was ever meant to be any kind of much, uh, this happened with a lot of things in media. But I feel like if there was ever meant to be any kind of satire, I feel like they lost the plot a long time ago. But on that note, I have—I don't even know if we have time for all this—but I have several horror stories about film critics who. I just feel I just feel like they epically missed the point of my movie. Okay, so so actually that raises a, a very direct question, which is, in your words, what is the point? Well, it is a well, the movie is a parody. I mean, I describe it as like if Mel Brooks made a trauma movie. Okay, like, it's, got that, it's got that combination of like film parodies, but it's all but dark comedy with a little bit of story and heart to it, you know. Sort, I mean, I say Mel Brooks because you know he made movies like Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, mm. movies that you know are parodies but still have characters and mm -hmm. stories and universes, and 
Yeah, they oh. were. Uh, yeah, the, his movies were always a little bit more. Um, even though they were still wacky parodies, they were always a little bit more grounded than, say, the uh, the airplanes of the world. Right. I mean, I love Airplane and Hot Shots. Oh yeah, doing a lot of those movies, but I definitely feel like I took more inspiration from like Mel Brooks and like actually trying to tell a story. Like, I mean, you know, I feel like the difference is Airplane is hilarious. I watch that movie constantly, but it definitely is kind of like a clothesline to hang jokes off of. Yeah, while I can see that. And, and young Frankenstein definitely feel like they have a little more story, a little more heart. I mean, oh yeah, young you know, Frankenstein's a classic. Oh yeah, one of my favorites. I mean, some of the negative reviews I read seem to epically miss the point that I feel like it's kind of like Science Boy is like is sort of like the Spider Man story if Spider Man learned the lesson in the third act instead of the first. Uh, okay <laughs> i can kind of see that yeah um so i do remember seeing a facebook post where you were complaining that people were trying to charge you to review your movie oh yes i was on the hunt for film reviews and several of them want money like i get it it's not the march of dimes but but, like that, that does raise that feels like that raised questions though like yeah like like if i give you money you're giving me like if you give someone money like you have to whether like wait is that influencing the review <laughs> like, that is a good question like i mean my joke is man if i'm gonna man if i'm gonna get money i better be like bribing these people to get some good reviews out of this <laughs> Like, did you d did you actually pay for any reviews? No. Okay. I I was a combination of budget and principle was going to prevent that. That makes sense. I I would I would not have paid for any reviews either. Yeah, I would be like, does this money mean I'm getting a good review? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This seems sketchy. We did. We did throw a little money at at festivals. Um, yeah, that's it, different. That's different. Yeah, though. that's def yeah, that's totally different. Uh, though Stephanie, my co-director, did um, make sure that we were signed up for all of the free festivals. That's good. Yeah, and uh, we did have some success with the Liftoff Global Network, uh, among a few others. You can see the art. We have the artwork with the. We have the artwork with the festival. Um, with our fest with all of our festival laurels on the Facebook page. If anybody wants to look that up. Okay. But yeah, I did not pay for any reviews. I did get I did get two professional I did get two professional ones. One was the one that I kind of want to print and frame is from World Film Geek, where he flatteringly compared me to Ryan Reynolds. Oh, wow! Like, yeah, he said that Science Boy is like a kid-friendly version of Deadpool. 
I don't know if I'd call Science Boy kid friendly. There's a lot of jerking off jokes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I did notice. I I think he meant the character is like a kid friendly Deadpool. Even though, yeah, I agree. Why well, did not go for a kid friendly movie? I was gonna say. I feel like I feel like I remember a lot of raunchy jokes in this movie. I don't. I don't know if I'd describe it as kid friendly. Right. <laughs> Still flattering to be compared to Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, the UK film review, I, like, I've said before, like, this one was kind of annoying. I would describe it as it kind of feels like a, it kind of feels like one of, like, a 10-year-old wrote, was assigned a book report and didn't actually do it and didn't actually read the book and just cherry-picked details because he thought that would fool the teacher the most unintentionally hilarious part of the UK film review is when he goes on this long-winded run-on sentence about where we filmed a scene. Like, like I'm like, I hate to say this, but that in particular just reeks of him trying to of uh, him trying to like of him trying to like full fool someone into thinking he read the movie, watched the movie, and I also just resent the UK review because it just reeked of elitism and and comedy gatekeeping. He literally says, and I quote, that comedy requires some some level of mean-spiritedness. Interesting. <laughs> that, that, that is an interesting take that I have First of all, it's it's clearly not true. There's there's plenty of heartwarming comedies that exist in the world. Right. But I, I will say that it that that is something that I have distressingly seen um in a lot of the commentary from comedians on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um the idea that every every joke needs a target. I, I think that's kind of I mean like every joke needs a topic and every joke needs to be about something, but like I don't know if you can necessarily call everything a joke is about a target. That makes it mm-hmm. sound so. I don't know. It, it's it's it feels diminishing towards comedy. Right. Well, I have two things to say about that. For one, every time I hear these people saying, "Oh, well, comedy needs a target," and whatever, I'm just thinking, "Yeah, well, why don't you tell me how you respond every time someone says they don't drink the same booze as you?" Mm-hmm. And Secondly, I'm just thinking, I must confess, I actually started writing, like, a pro-trans set in my act. Okay. Just as, like, a rebuttal to that. Like, all these people saying, oh, well, we, you know, we make fun of trans people because this is what comedy is supposed to do. And I just thought, huh, challenge accepted. I mean, I mean, that's, that seems like, I... That seems like a positive way to go with it because that is that is a weird thing going on in comedy right now. That's just uh, like uh, a lot of comedians have chosen this as a weird hill to die on, and it's like, yeah, man, but like, what do you know about being trans? <laughs> what are these jokes written about? The fact that you don't get it? Yeah, I hate to say I hate to say this, but also, but one of the other things that annoys me is that there. You know, you asked me what annoys me about the comedy business and something else. I feel like there's just so much of, like, people, like, there's just this vibe that the only thing they're talking about is their jokes. Like, 
like I hear these stories, whether it's trans people or people talking about like gluten allergies, and, and there are just so many times I'm thinking, yes, I saw that episode of Last Man Standing too. Could you actually describe something that happened? <laughs> yeah, that that is a thing. Is that like, like don't get me wrong. There's 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 plenty of comedians who are good at being like edgy, but mm -hmm. like but like there is I do see this this tendency of people to like rush into being edgy mm -hmm. without like learning the basics first and it, oh, it it just results in me going to like a lot of open mics where like someone will get up and like start telling like jokes that i swear i've seen on like facebook pages or like chain emails or just like oh yeah really, really old inappropriate like really old jokes that haven't aged well like like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I know, Catholic priest and Michael Jackson, they're always molesting kids. That's a great joke you got there, man. I swear I haven't heard that a hundred times at this point. Well, I mean, if you want my opinion on the matter, when I was doing a deliberate piss take, now, you heard this, but for anybody who hasn't, when I was just doing it, like, a deliberate parody of comedians I've heard, one of the lines I, I legit, I straight up opened with, Kurt Cobain committed suicide. That's the joke. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. I remember that. You know, if I, you know, if you're if you're okay with it, I could put like the. If you were okay with it, I could put the audio into my podcast if you want. Yeah. I, if you yeah, want, I can. If you want, I can open the episode with like your set. If you if you were okay with that. I kind of like that idea, but if I'm going to post any set, I, I kind of feel like I'd prefer something that's, like, deliberately good. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, no. If I get I mean, one shot at promoting myself... That's... <laughs> you, rate, you make a good point. You make a good point. Uh, so, let's see here. Uh, yeah, no. Um, some comedians are, are annoying. Uh... <laughs> But, uh, so, so yeah, so, uh, I forgot, I've lost my train of thought. We were on Science Boy. Oh, yeah, Science Boy. So, okay, so I feel like you've given me a pretty, uh, is there anything, is there any behind-the-scenes stuff you'd like to share about Science Boy and, like, when you were filming it? Well. Was it, how was it to film compared to when you were filming Pinheads? I definitely feel like it was a little more organized. I definitely appreciate the fact that, I mean, one of the reasons I struggled so much with the second season of Pinheads, at least, is I was just doing the lion's share of my of the work by myself. Um, this time, I kind of had Stephanie, my co-director, holding my hand, so to speak, and it's kind of weird. There was a there was a bit of contrast. She would simultaneously like hold my hand, but also kind of like light the fire beneath me. You know, like imagine you're climbing a rope and the person just sets the rope on fire to make you move faster. Like there were times where where like she would tell me, Okay, we are filming this date, and it was up to me to like get the location on this date. And, you know, I guess having that fire underneath me and inspired me to do it. I mean, I remember we had, we refilmed the 
we refilmed the reunion scene. I mean, she did not like me talking about it at first that we had to refilm that, but one of my friends had a great point. It's not unprofessional to refilm a scene. What's unprofessional is leaving bad footage in. And you can actually see shots of the original version of that scene in, in one of our trailers, but um, but like I hustled. I want to give big thanks to Buzzbin, who is unfortunately no longer with us that they helped us get that scene. The real, the really interesting thing about our, about, about refilming that reunion though, is we refilmed it, is we did the reshoots the first weekend of 2020. Um, Does that date sound familiar? It does. Yeah, it was right before the world shut down. Man, I remember that weekend, like we were doing the reshoots. There was a, there, I was, I got my first hosting gig at the Funny Stop. I got, I had tickets to see Blue Oyster Cult. And at the time, I just remember thinking, God, why is the universe so focused on this one weekend? Now I know. Yes, that was pretty wild. I was supposed to do, uh, I was supposed to do a show up at May Hall's. And um, it got canceled, like, like last minute, right as everything started to shut down. So, oh, so I just remembered. Okay, so there is one scene. There's okay, so there's one scene in Science Boy that I wanted to ask you about because when I was watching it, it actually like made me like kind of squirm in my seat a little bit. Um, so. There's a scene in the movie where, as a prank, some of the characters um, cut another person's hair while they're sleeping. Yeah. The and I wanted was, to ask, is that a wig? Did you guys cut a wig? It was a wig. Okay. And there was meant to be a payoff, but unfortunately we ended up having to cut it. Oh, so it was supposed to lead into something else? Yeah. Oh, okay. That actually, that actually makes sense. Um... That's that's good to know, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we ended up cutting it for pacing reasons. Okay. Uh, out of curiosity, what was it supposed to lead up to? Uh, it was supposed to lead up to um, uh, Jason and the girl like getting together after the big after the big uh, fight with Killjoy, but it just like wrecked the pacing so much. Oh, okay. I understand. Uh, pacing's a tough thing to contend with. Right. So, all right. So I do I do want to share this. Is that... Um, so, like... I would actually say that I found your work somewhat inspirational. Because, like... You know, like for all the for all the things that that one could like the flaws or or issues or or things that one could criticize with your work, I still found it kind of inspirational because like I had this moment where I was just like I was just like watching it, your stuff and I was like, he's out there doing stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like you're actually out there, you're making stuff, and it may not come out as perfectly as you want it to every time, but you're making it. And that that's sort of a big deal. 
like in all honesty it kind of inspired me to start my podcast because i was like you know what i gotta start doing something i gotta start making something and if if i don't have like i don't have a lot of resources and and whatnot but you know what i bet i can i bet i can start throwing together a podcast and you know what as long as i don't worry about how perfect it is and i just keep making it eventually i'll get it to be what i want it to be so I just wanted, so like one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is just because I found that kind of inspirational that you were going out there and you were making these things happen. And I was like, oh my God, I know a guy who's, who put his show on Amazon. That's, that's cool as hell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so thank you for keeping, for making your work. Well, well, thanks. That makes me feel I mean, that does make me feel better knowing I inspired someone. I mean, the hardest thing is just, you know, getting out there and starting stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, like, for any criticisms that anyone could levy, like, you're doing stuff. And and I, I find that, I find that inspirational. Is there anything else you'd like to share about uh, your projects, or, or is, or is there anything you'd like to uh, promote at this time? Well, Science Boys High School Reunion and Panheads are on Amazon Prime. Um, check those out. You can also buy the DVD of Science Boy on the Cheesy Films website. Plus, we have merchandise on Teespring. We have T-shirts, mugs, pint glasses. <laughs> uh iphone cases if you can believe it but if this episode if this episode airs in time the big thing i really want to promote is i am doing a show with with ring of honor wrestler dalton castle thursday august 18th at the federal restaurant in youngstown tickets are 25 dollars each and um matt onesti and tim wolf will be there both very funny guys Nice. And this is a serious pa- passion project for me because I've been trying to get this show with Dalton Castle since the summer of 2020. So I am really excited about this. Very cool. I'm sorry, when did you say that was again? It is Thursday, August 18th. Nice. I will. Oh, just to let you know, this uh, this episode will be coming out on Monday. Okay, so- good. So that should give it some time, you know, to, to promote that. So that's excellent. Okay, great. Um, although I see that it's probably, so that's probably like, that's, uh, th- that's probably next weekend. Oh, okay. I mean, when your, when your thing is, right? You said August 18th. 18th. Okay. So yes, yeah, so that's in six days. So, so, so yes, Monday will be in time for it to hopefully people will hear about it. Yes. And you, and you can get more details at funnyfarmcomedyclub.com. Oh, you're doing it up at the Funny Farm. Nice. Yes. I've only I've only done that. Uh, I've only been at that stage one time, and it was not well attended at the time, but uh, it was a good time. Yeah, I've been there a couple of times. Once as a performer, once to see Basil. A line that a line that's made it into my set is Basil asked me if I'm a comedian, and I told, and uh, the line I've been using since is, "If you have to ask, you have your answer." nice so uh all righty um 
All right, so awesome. You heard it here, people. Check out Alex's work on, on Amazon Prime. It is tragically uh, no longer uh, free to view. Um, but uh, yes, there is a paywall, but uh, you know, three bucks you're getting a lot of entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program today, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you just uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. All right, man. Well, uh, it's time to say goodbye to our audience here. Uh, so thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, you want to say goodbye, Alex? Bye, everybody. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, remember to uh, promote the pot. If you like what you hear, feel free to share it or uh, comment or review it or whatever is available on the platform you're getting mm-hmm. your podcast from because something that's vaguely frustrating is that uh, uh, all the podcast platforms have different systems for like showing that you appreciate podcasts. Oh, yes. So if you're on listening on Apple, feel free to leave a review. But if you're listening on Anchor, you can feel free to leave me a voice message. Uh, and if you're on Spotify, I actually don't know what Spotify's features are. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you all for listening. <laughs>